Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Deji Hambolu with me here today. Deji, I really appreciate your time. And if you want to follow along, I'm going to point everybody to your website. And I'm going to put a direct link in the show notes. I'm going to direct everybody over there, but I'm going to try to pronounce, spell it here quick. D-E-J-I-H-A-M-B-O-L-U.com. Take a particular note because Deji has a free workshop coming up here at the end of the month. You're going to want to check out, but really appreciate you being here. Awesome. Thank you, Jack, for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. I love the work that you do, man. And uh, thanks for, for having me on your show. I appreciate you being here. You have a particularly interesting story. You have a lot of enterprise experience finding efficiencies across organizations. I have to ask, though, with that type of experience and background, how did you find your way into real estate investing? But more importantly, what have you brought with you to this new world? Awesome. Great question. I often think about it myself, and I see a lot of kind of things, qualities, characteristics from my enterprise experience that's really helped me along my real estate journey. Uh, but how I got started and how I transitioned into the real estate space was I was actually doing it part-time while I was working. Uh, my first job out of college when I graduated from, from tech back in 2014 was I worked at Coca-Cola at the headquarters. And I was helping them with some operational efficiencies, continuous improvement type roles. So I was managing a lot of projects, working across cross-functional teams, implementing new strategies, global strategies, and doing a lot of cool on hands-on stuff and managing projects. And then my five to nine was real estate focused. So I would use that time to, to find, look for property, educate myself first off, use it to find property and actually go through the entire process after work. Uh, but one of the things that I think was very instrumental in helping me from my enterprise experience was the project management component. So working in corporate but as a project manager really taught me how to communicate in a team, make sure everyone's engaged. It's very important in real estate to make sure that things are timely, um, on budget. So I think those traits helped me in, in that regard. Also, just being able to present opportunities was also key, especially now uh, that I'm raising capital for deals and I'm doing partnerships. So that experience helped me to be able to package ideas and present opportunities as well. Those are probably the, the, the two big ones. I'm sure there's plenty others that are subconscious, uh, but, but yeah, I think they, those, some of those skills translated pretty well for me. Can you talk a little bit about what you're focused on now? Is it single family homes or are you looking at the bigger multifamily deals? Yeah. So, uh, so currently, um, I'm, you know, my buy box is anything from 15 to about 70 units right now. Um, so I'm looking at apartment buildings, uh, specifically value add apartment buildings, because my, my whole strategy has a premise on value add apartment building and then affordable housing. Currently, that buy box for me is anywhere between 15 to 70 units, depending on the on the state of those properties. Okay. So what type of value add are you looking for? Anything in particular or just something in general? And are you looking at certain markets? Yeah. So <clears throat> the, the types of value add deals that I'm looking at right now, I'm really looking 
for the, I'm looking at the ones that require, I call them lipstick flips, right? So the ones that don't require a lot of structural work or extensive renovation. Um, I look for the ones that are, that have some level of occupancy. Uh, so typically anywhere between 60 to, to 80% is that sweet spot for occupancy with, the, with of course, the opportunity to, to execute on, on a lipstick flip. So those are things like maybe painting the walls and updating the floor in and painting and updating the cabinets and some of the light fixtures and light stuff like that. What else? So I mentioned the occupancy, the, the state from a rehab perspective. And then as far as like the location goes and the market, I'm really interested in a lot of the Southern states right now. So I'm heavily focused in Atlanta, Georgia, of course, where I'm currently based. Looking at some deals in Florida, a lot in Texas between Dallas and Houston are, are some similar markets. I'm looking at into similar markets as to the ones that I'm invested in right now in, in Atlanta, some in Florida as well. So Florida, Atlanta, Florida, Georgia, and, and Texas are, are the biggest target markets for me. When we first contacted each other, you had a relatively sizable portfolio already. Do you mind me asking where are you sitting right now with the number of doors that you have under managed? Sure. So currently at about 38 units. Okay. And is that doors or buildings? Uh, so that's doors. That's doors. Okay. 38 units. Biggest uh, building that I own currently is uh, an 18 unit. And then the rest are uh, scattered between uh, a quad a few triplexes, a few duplexes. Okay. I'd be curious as to your upbringing when it comes to this. So you're relatively young and it takes, with your background and the experience you've had, you've had a lot of experience for being as young as you are. And now you're getting into real estate investing. Has this entrepreneurial bug always been with you and you, you finally broke three of the W-2 or did you have family members that kind of had similar backgrounds? What brought you to this entrepreneurial mindset? Oh, man, and that, that's a great question. The majority of my family, nuclear extended, I went to corporate life. I come from a well-educated family. Everyone is really well-educated. I have a sister that went to Harvard, and a lot of them went to Ivy League schools and Georgia Tech. Four of us went to the same school, so really well-educated in my family, and a lot of us uh, go that corporate route. Uh, but for me, I've always known that I guess nothing for me has really been orthodox to begin with. So going back to my background, I, you know, my whole family moved. I, you know, I was born in Maryland, my whole family really. And then we moved, we all moved to Nigeria when I was about seven years old. Um, and then from there, I skipped two grades while I was over there. And then I went into boarding school when I was nine, where a lot of my classmates were 10 and 11. So from the get-go, I, I was always a little bit of the oddball been doing unorthodox stuff. So when I finished high school, I was 15 years old. So I, was, I went to college at 15 as well. So another unorthodox situation. I've never really looked at myself as being orthodox or conventional in any way. But one of the things that I always knew growing up was that I, um, I had different interests. Uh, I had a lot of um, entrepreneurial spirit. And I always believed that real estate was going to be a, a big component of that, and at least at some point. But how I made the transition was, it was one of those things where it's like, you, you make a plan in your mind and you, you want to go that way. But then at the other side of it is sometimes you just got to take the leap and you got to take the leap before you think you're ready. So I went that route as opposed to waiting on a plan, on a particular plan. And I know that's backwards from how a lot of other people did it, but uh, that's how, that's, that was how my journey went and, and how it's going on currently. 
there's a lot to be said for that imperfect action. At least you're, you're taking action. You're moving forward in some way. So I commit. That's awesome. I would imagine, I don't know, maybe you've made these parallels already, but I'd be curious. You obviously, I'm, I'm sure you've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And the poor dad yeah. was a scholar, a professor or something. And the rich dad was a business owner. Did you have people so educated where they were saying your corporate avenue is a better and safer a- avenue or that maybe you're even a little crazy getting rid into real estate? Yeah, so great question. And and for the record, man, I, I'm, I'm a little ashamed to say this, but I only read Rich Dad Poor Dad maybe a year or two ago. And I only read it a year or two ago after I heard it like multiple times. But there is, of course, someone in my family uh, who's very entrepreneurial, and that's my dad. My dad is very entrepreneurial spirited. And the one thing I learned from him is uh, boldness of taking action and, and taking risks. As far as e- even to the extent of the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it's the one who takes the risk who, who reaps the reward. So that's how I look at things. It's if you want more, you have to take more risk. Granted, they be calculated, but risk was always the was always how I perceived things and potential reward. For me, I think my dad was a big influence in that regard. Watching him just be involved in a lot of different businesses and taking like huge risks when most people would, would question his sanity. But yeah, I think I, I definitely got that from him. And then my mom is more more of a scholar. She's still in school right now, always reaching out for that next degree. So I think for me, I got the risk taking factor for my dad. I got the calculated side for my mom and I just try to find somewhere in the middle. <laughs> That's a good balance though. That's that, that probably has having one foot in both worlds like that has probably put you on some pretty steady ground. And then you meet a lot in the middle too, at different places with different opportunities. I definitely think that's a plus for sure. It helps. Are you been pretty much sticking to Atlanta, Georgia, or do you, are you starting to research other areas? Yes. And you mean this from a real estate perspective or? Right. Actually, yes. Yeah. Atlanta is, of course, is the best on foundation. I'm always looking in this market. One market that I'm increasingly interested in is the Texas market. I love the Texas market, specifically Dallas and Houston. I think that these are areas similar to Atlanta and how there's a ton of immigration into the city. Of course, land is limited, so there's a lot of production going on, lots of demand and that need, especially from an affordable housing perspective, which a lot of the metropolitan cities of the U.S. are facing the same thing right now. And those are some of those markets that are also similar. So Texas is definitely a big focus for me right now. And of course, Atlanta will always be a huge focus. Mm-hmm. Are you doing more partnerships, buying this on your own? Or are you a one-man band? How, how does that look right now? Sure. So currently, my team is, is myself. I have a contractor. Um, I have about three contractors that I work with on any given basis. Licensed contractors. I have, of course, an attorney on, on, on board, as well as, as well as a few operational partners that help me manage properties after they're stabilized. Okay, so I have a property manager, contractors, and an attorney, essentially. Now, how I execute on the deals today, I do a lot of partnerships. So I do a lot of partnerships. I do a lot of joint ventures. I also do a lot of capital raise via debt as well as equity. So it's a combination of a, different, of a few different types of partnerships. But essentially, I, I do raise capital now and provide investors. I work with a lot of silent investors. Just to remind everybody, head over to his website.com. I'll make sure to have that link 
as a direct link in the show notes. And then take advantage of his upcoming free webinar that he's going to be hosting. I'm sure this page will be there when, when you go there. And then one last favor for, for Deji and me. If you found some value in what we've been talking about so far, share it with one of your investor friends. So you go and making these partnerships. How are you finding these partnerships? And have you found that you have to put as much fervor into finding those partnerships as you do the opportunities you're bringing them? Oh, great question. So how I'm currently finding the partnerships, believe it or not, is uh, just really through social media and, and word of mouth. So I've been very, I've been out there for a while now on, on Instagram, especially. I'm starting to get a little bit more on TikTok, but on Instagram at deji.ceo. That's where I post a lot of the products that I'm working on, a lot of the deals that I'm working on. I'm very outspoken on the platform. So a lot of times people would find me, find the content that I produce, and then they would reach out that way, either to learn more about how to invest or to actually invest silently into a project with me. Social media is huge. Word of mouth has also been huge. Once you make one investor happy, they brag about it with their friends and family, and then people, more people want part of the action. So that's been predominantly the two main funnels for, for partnering. You've been now teaching people how to do this as well. How has that been going? Oh, that's been going great. That has been going amazing. Matter of fact, it's, it's the thing I, I've been most excited about recently, to be honest with you. It's one thing to be able to, to build a portfolio on your own and do it for yourself. But when you help other people, the, the excitement and energy is just different. Started it, started, started, I've been doing this really. I've been teaching people for a while, close to four years, but I really formalized a program a year and a half ago, two years ago now. So in 2022, which is last year, which that was the first full calendar year of going through the program. And I was able to help 45 people buy their first uh, investment property, which was, which was very huge for me. I was very excited about it. And this year, my focus was to help. My plan was to, was to double that with, not quite double it, but my goal was to do 80 people. And already for this year, I'm at 57 people. So it's going really well. It's very exciting helping people, of course get access to their first or their next investment property. But it's really focused around helping people build the foundation for growing and creating a portfolio. So a lot of the things that, that I teach people is how to set up their LLCs the correct way so that they don't only minimize their risk and maximize their profit, but so that they can get access to, to more funding in the future so that they can further scale their portfolios. Right? I help people get access to help people. We have an in-house attorney that helps people set up uh, trusts, uh, so really helping people to set up their business structure the right way, um, formed under a holding company, a trust, and, and those type of things so that they can, you know, of course, have the protection that they need, but also so that as they're building it on a strong foundation. We have help, also help people get access to different financial products that can also help them scale along the way. So different types of index annuities and things to help protect their wealth as they're building it and also help them to transfer it tax-free. So it's a very well-rounded program that is, I'm seeing a lot of uh, great success and I'm proud um, and very energetic about it, if you, if you can't tell. <laughs> so since you've helped so many people now through this process, what is the number one hurdle that you've had to overcome? Great. So the number one hurdle, which I, I realized earlier on wasn't necessarily a, a hurdle, but more of an opportunity, was people's credit scores. A lot of the people that I was helping didn't have great credit scores. So 
What I realized was I needed to find a way to help them with their credit score so that I could help them with the other. When I say that I can literally help anyone buy property, I mean it. And it's because of the supplemental or supplementary things that go hand in hand, which is like credit, helping them fix their credit. That's one of the big things in the beginning that was a hurdle because if you don't have good credit, then you're very limited. Of course, you can still own, you can buy real estate. And even if you don't have good credit, there's creative ways to do it. But with credit, you just have, the doors are just open to more opportunities, more lending options, funding options, more loan options and different things. So that was the hurdle, which ended up uh, turning into an opportunity earlier on. Since you bring that up, is, have you been finding that a, a lot of the lower credit scores for some of your students are because of their risk-taking and entrepreneurial no. nature themselves? Or is it from them trying to finally get their financial ducks in a row? I, I realized the biggest thing from my, from my experience when I see people with bad credit was just the lack of knowledge, really. Lack of knowledge earlier on. So a lot of people who have messed up credit, it's they messed it up earlier on before they they needed it or before they knew what it was really. So by the time they checked it, they realized something had come up on their credit score from years ago, maybe an apartment that they lived in or some phone bill that they may or may not have even really been directly involved with, just a bunch of different things like that. I found that a lot of people who had low credit scores or not so great credit was due to things that happened in the past, right? And then, of course, just the education piece too and, and, and informing people how they could take advantage of certain things that they're already doing to help improve their credit score, like helping them report their rent payments for the past two years. There's companies that will help them do that to boost their credit scores. A bunch of things, helping them add, add in authorized lines of credit on, on, their, on their credit so that they could reduce their utilization and increase their limit increase the the limit, the length, the age of their credit and things like that. So there's a bunch of stuff that go hand in hand with, of course, one, like I said, them not having, them making a mistake or two in the past or not knowing, and then two, just not fully understanding some of the resources that they have available to them today. And you've been building out teams now. You brought up finding a lawyer or general contractors and a variety of other things. What uh, tips or tricks can you give everybody on the best practices and vetting some of these people out and making sure they're a good fit? Oh, that's a great question. It's a very important one too, because uh, I always tell people that who you work with can make or break you. Who you work with can make or break you for many reasons. But some of the things that you can do to uh, effectively choose the right people to work with and avoid headaches is you want to start off with referrals and references. Okay, so getting referrals from people who have a high quality product in the market or do good business. Uh, they typically have a good network of people who also do good business. You, you find that um, people who have worked with the same people for a long time as well are also people that, that you want to learn more about because those are people who have a proven track record, right? So proven track record, number one, referrals and references would be the biggest things that I would say. After that, everything else is, is, is your due diligence as far as the questions you ask them, the, the provisions you make sure that they have in place, like any necessary licenses and things like that. that's your due diligence. But on the front end, and the most important thing is if you get referrals from good people, good professionals, highly recommended referrals, then the chances are that it eliminates a lot of the business you have to do. But you should still do it anyway. But. Circling back to your experience and helping companies find efficiencies, have you found some consistent efficiency wins that could be had 
by a mom and pop real estate investor? Absolutely. Oh, that's a great question. Man, lots of it. So for me, a lot of the mom and pop investors that I uh, come across that are old, that, that have been in the game longer and have more more and, they, and they've had a process going for a very long time. Some of the, uh, the opportunities for efficiency that I've seen is automation. Like today, a lot of the, the lead generation is done with artificial intelligence. A, lo a lot of it's done through artificial intelligence and, and automation, right? When you work with automation, you limit a lot of the mistakes you make, whether it's in, in your ads, in your campaigns, in your outreach, or even in your conversions. The biggest opportunity I've seen so far is the opportunity to leverage AI and automation for sure. I can't stress that enough. In fact, automation is a big part of what I, we'd use and what we do to the point where even our follow-up process, because we still, I don't know if you buy any single family homes, but we do. And even though a person might not be ready at that particular time, having something automated to drop a voicemail or send a text once a month and then even once a quarter by itself, that's a big step towards what can be, what can actually be done there. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all in the follow-ups, right? It's all in the follow-ups. A lot of the students that you are helping, are you helping them buy their first single family home? Is that where a majority of them start or do you jump them into something more robust? Oh, that's a great question. It's case by case. So by case one, it's based off of the goals of the individual, based off of the opportunity that's available at the time. Because in certain markets like Atlanta, for example, citizen traffic is super, super hard to find, right? So instead of waiting um, for a duplex to show up or a good deal to show up or, or finding a good deal in, as a duplex, there's a great single family opportunity, then we'll move in on it. It's a combination of the two. We, some people are also know exactly what they want as far as like the strategy that they want to go with, whether it's midterm, midterm rentals or short-term rentals or long-term rentals. Sometimes they know exactly what they're looking for, whether it's a, whether it's a single family or it's a duplex. But it varies from case by case. Some people, I would say majority is single family that we get, that we start off with just because we can typically get better financing for them on those. But yeah, certainly duplexes and triplexes are also um, a target for a few of the first property owners as well. Have you found that it's sometimes just as much work to pursue a multifamily as it is a single family? When you say just as much work, you mean as far as working, finding it or working on the execution end once you found execution it? End. So execution end. Execution end. Execution end. I would say it's probably a little bit tougher with the multifamily just because you just have more, you just have more to do. It's just more square footage, more work, more tenants, more people. But I would say that the relative return on that is, is makes it worth it. Sure. Do you outsource your property management or do you do that yourself? Yeah. So I, I outsource it. I did it myself up until I got to about seven or eight, I think, properties. And then I was like, now it's time to, to, to outsource the property management. But at some point, I, I hope to bring it back in-house and build a team around it. Okay. Is there any tri tips or tricks you can recommend finding a property man manager that where your interests are aligned? seems like sometimes that's not the case. Oh, yeah. Okay, great question. Some of the tricks that, that I would recommend was, first off, as part of your due diligence on the prop property manager that you're going to consider working with, you want to find out what their current, what their portfolio currently is in the market that you're working in. 
you want to make sure that there's no conflict of interest. If they have properties that are in a certain area that you have a property in and their property is vacant and you want to help them find properties for your prop for your property, tenants for your property, then there's chances that, you know, that they'll prioritize others before you. So that's one thing I would check for any potential conflict of interest. I would also find out what their goals are, what their experience is and what their goals are. You can learn a lot about what, what kind of future you see yourself with, especially if you plan on building a portfolio. Yeah, I would definitely say find out their experience, their plans, and then go from there. That's interesting. I've, especially the when I say their interests are aligned and vetting it out, we've, I've seen everything from, I probably should start over in the fact that out of all of the partnerships that I try to form or we've tried to form, it is the property manager is the only one where I hope that they don't own property themselves. Because if I have a banker or an accountant or a lawyer, if they have rental property, they have an idea of what you're going through and what you're going to need. It's only the, the time where I've seen a conflict of interest is when there's a property manager that owns property. Because like you said, they will choose their own properties over yours. Deji, this has been really interesting. Uh, again, I'm going to remind everybody to head over to your site, Deji Hambolu. Uh, yeah. Try it again. Deji Hambolu. And you can, that's going to be a clickable link in the show notes. But before I go, let you go. And I didn't warn you about this, Deji, is that I do have some rapid fire questions to end the show out with. Oh, let's go. First of all, what lie do real estate investors tell themselves and others? What lie do real estate investors tell themselves or you say and others or others? Yeah. And others. What lie do we tell ourselves and others? Man, we tell ourselves we tell ourselves we can't lose, man. We can never take an L. Never lose. We're always gonna win. But I think that's a psyche. That's a psyche thing. We we do it to motivate ourselves. <laughs> but of course everybody can take an L here or there. You're not allowed to say rich dad, poor dad, or think and grow rich, but do you have a book recommendation or what are you reading right now? Oh, a book recommendation would be the best apartment syndication book ever. Okay. Yeah. That's a new one. I haven't heard that one. So that's make sure to add that to the list. What is one tool you can't live without, whether it's in business or personal? My phone, cell phone. I do everything on that, man. I sign contracts, send contracts look at property, talk to people, email people. So definitely my phone, cell phone. Sure. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Move quicker. Move quicker, fail fast. In under 60 seconds, you have to give everybody one tip or trick that they can implement today to have a direct impact on their real estate investing. What would it be? Oh, I can do it in five seconds. Get you a mentor. Okay. That's, that's, that is a good one. Did you, is there anything in particular there that you would want to call out? Like, how do you choose a mentor or how do you approach somebody to be your mentor? Oh, great question. So how, uh, how do you pick someone to be a mentor? Find someone who is doing exactly what you want to do or someone with it and someone who has a similar background um, to you. So someone who's been where you're currently at and someone who, who is doing the things that you want to do. Simple um, identifier to find a good mentor. How to approach a, a someone to be a mentor. One is a lot of mentors have a program already. If they don't have a program, then reach out with them with value, with a value proposition. 
meaning um, find something that you can do for them in exchange for their time uh, to help you as well. Is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today? Nah, man, I think it, it was very well rounded, especially as some of the things I wanted to talk about were covered in the rapid fire. So good job uh, picking the questions, man. Yeah, I asked everybody those, and it, it's always interesting. Uh, what And they've evolved over time. At one time, I even had, what's your favorite movie? Just to find That's out. So what's your favorite out. movie? Mine is Shawshank Redemption, still. Oh, classic. Classic. I can watch classic. it over and over again. How about you? Well, what's your favorite movie? Oh, boy. It would depend on the day, but I'm I'm probably going to go with, we'll go with Army of Darkness here today. Army of Darkness. I don't think I've seen that one. See? Oh, Army of Darkness. Bobblehead here. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to add that to my list. It's very, very campy. Okay. I like it. And it's an old eighties movie. So yeah. I just warn you now. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Army of Darkness. I like those movies that are, I, I don't care for horror movies, but I like movies that make fun of horror movies. <laughs> so if you've seen like Shaun of the Dead, that type of stuff. Yes. That's exactly the movie that came to my head. I was like, okay, yeah. I know. I know what you like. I like those too. I, I can definitely yeah. get with those. But then I can't pass up any kind of martial arts type movies too. Any of the John Wicks, any of that stuff. I'll keep, okay. I'll watch those stuff over and over again. No. But I really appreciate your time. It was great meeting you. I will hope you come I back agree. again sometime. Likewise, thank you for having me, Josh. I'm back. Thanks so much. Have a great day. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.